Welcome. This is another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today, we have with us Carl White. He is the founder of Market Advisory Group, which focuses on helping locally owned independent businesses and practices in healthcare to stay independent. Carl's passion for independent business goes all the way back to working in his family's pharmacy when he was a kid. Today, Mark Advisory Group helps independent practices get more leads, phone calls, reviews, and overall visibility. Carl is a duct tape marketing certified consultant. He lives in Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Carl. Barbara, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So the first thing I want to know is, what do you consider a duct tape marketer? So duct tape marketing is an organization that's been around for about 20, 25 years, I think a little bit longer. And it does a lot of things, but it's really, it's designed to help small businesses, small and mid-sized businesses grow with like really sort of systematic marketing. And it works with, you know, any healthcare practice that fits that same kind of size and description. You can become a duct tape marketing certified consultant. You go through some steps, you kind of join the organization. There's a lot of tools and support in the back end. I joined it because before Mark Advisory Group, I worked in large corporate America, always marketing in healthcare, which does not translate very well into small business world where you and I live. And so duct tape marketing was a nice way to help me make that leap Lots of support, like I said, there's about 150 consultants worldwide. Most are in the States, but we help each other out all the time. And it was really, I I launched Mark Advisory Group when I licensed into duct tape marketing. And it's been like the game changer. I'm not sure I'd still be here if it wasn't for just following them and learning the ropes of small business land, so to speak, now that I'm on my own feet. So yeah. So how long did it take from the time that you joined that organization until the time that you felt, I, I'm good enough to create my own marketing company? So I'm still licensed in with them because there's just a lot of ongoing support, new tools and things. You get to collaborate with others. But on my own feet, probably about a year, a year and change before I felt like, okay, I'm, 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 I used to joke, my joke was my learning curve is perfectly vertical. I can't see the top. Like I know marketing and healthcare, I know strategy, I know those things, but just translating them to, you know, independent, small and mid-sized practices. That's what took it a while. And then the learning curve, you know, it started to have a bit of a slope to it. I was like, I think I can see the top. And now it's, uh, you know, we're always learning, you, you as well, you know this. So you never quite ever reach the summit, but now it's very approachable. Well, just when you think you have everything changes. Yeah. Oh, isn't it great? Yeah. I dread the Google core algorithm update notice. I just, come on guys, really? Can you just give us a break? Because <laughs> they never tell you in advance. It's only when it's done. They're remarkably good secret keepers about that. So yeah, it's great. So why is it that you decided not to stay as a pharmacist and follow in your family's footsteps? Well, it turned out to be a better move than I realized. I mean, I, I grew up in upstate New York and, and the, the biggest reason was I didn't want to stay in upstate New York any longer. I still have some family there, but most of us left. There just wasn't a lot of opportunity up there for, it's a smaller town. I just felt I wanted to see more. And so that meant leaving, which meant it didn't make the family business an option. My father had sort of transformed it into a like a home medical equipment 
supply store. He had sold the pharmacy. But even then, staying in that, that went the way of large chains also. And so, you know, independent pharmacies are out there. They're much harder to find. Same with what he turned it into. And he ended up selling it. So that's what I would have done. And then I would have been in my, I don't know, late 20s with what do I do now anyway? So it turned out to be a better choice. I just wanted to see more and felt, you know, what else is out there? That's true. So when you were making your transition and asking the question of yourself, who am I? And what is it that I'm meant to do? How did you how did you see that marketing was the answer? So I spent about 10 years in sales. I sold college textbooks. I would traipse all over college campuses looking for professors of all sorts of different disciplines. And I would, that was my first. Uh, I had no designs on sales. I was going to become a college professor. I entered a PhD program and I left it after one week and one class. I was <laughs> nauseous the whole week. And, and then it, it's, it's funny. I was nauseous the whole week. It took me a week to realize this is probably not going to go away. This probably means I'm in the wrong spot. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this is not it. So that was on Long Island in New York. I went back home. I don't know how I happened upon educational publishing, but I did. That was in New York City. I wanted to get there too. You know, the drive to leave upstate New York started pretty early, <laughs> long before what we talked about a second ago. And I didn't know they needed salespeople. I didn't know how it worked, but then I discovered that that was the way to climb. And so I did that. Sales and marketing are very close cousins in a way. Sometimes they agree and sometimes they don't, but they're highly related. And that's how it started. And from there, I did sales for about eight or nine years and it just felt like it was getting a bit repetitive. I was having a hard time justifying the cost of a college textbooks. And I, I thought, well, if I'm a salesperson and I'm having a hard time justifying this, and that, that means it's, it's becoming inauthentic to continue selling them. So now what? I'm approaching 30. So I went and got an MBA at the University of Michigan Business School, Go Blue. I loved it. And if you want to change careers and you want to do it well and fast, an MBA is a great way to go. Sales to marketing made a lot of sense. Get back to healthcare, that made a lot of sense. And, you know, thus it was born. Do college students use textbooks anymore? Or is I'm it so out digital? of it. I mean, it, probably I'm so out of it. And, and when I was there, we were experimenting with different ways to do digital. The technology did not nearly support it the way it does today. One good thing that we were doing at the time is we were taking books. You know, the book is like a thousand pages and nobody ever uses the whole thing. And that was part of the beef of, you know, on top of these high prices, I'm using maybe a third of it, where they were trying to slice and dice the books and each professor could sort of, you know, pick the chapters that they wanted, some kind of customization. You know, we'll be, I mean, I went back to my undergrad school about five or six years ago and I had to go to the bookstore. It was stocked with books. I can tell you that. How many were being sold and how many were used? I don't know. But you would think that it's a lot more flexible and a lot more maybe tailored today. I'd be, I'd be disappointed if it weren't, I guess, with all the technology that's available now. I'm sure that you tell the clients in the health field that social media is a, an important part of marketing. Mm -hmm. So what, do, what would you say to a doctor or regardless of whether it's with traditional or, or alternative care that says, I'm afraid to go on social media because I don't want to violate the HIPAA codes Mm -hmm. And once in violation, incur the wrath of 
everything HIPAA. that is concerned with that. The HIPAA police. There's no such thing. That's just the term that I use <laughs> to kind of catch people's attention. You know, the first thing that I would say is, I guess in no particular order, Dr. X, you need to go where your prospective patients go. And it's hard to believe that none of them go on social media to hunt around for a doctor, for a doctor's office. It's just hard to believe that that's not the case. And so you need to be there. You get agreement on that first. The objection of HIPAA, that, that's pretty easy. So, you know, the easiest way to explain HIPAA is you can't... So if you get a review on Facebook or Instagram or Google or anywhere else, there's great... I'd say debate amongst the healthcare attorney community about whether you can reply to that at all. Where they all agree is you can't disclose a doctor-patient relationship. They all say that. So you can't say, we're so glad you had a great experience with us. You've just outed the relationship. That's a bad thing. The very conservative attorneys will say, you can't reply at all. Any reply discloses. The less conservative ones will say, you can thank that person. Hey, thanks for the nice comment. Full stop. And then, you know, Strictly speaking, you haven't disclosed anything, but you, but you can, you should be on there. How much at that point, you know, do you start doing advertising or get really in depth? It just, that depends on the nature of your service and the nature of the buying process. You don't necessarily have to do all of that. You just, you know, it, it depends on what, just like I said, the service that you have and the buying process for them. Our clients are all on social media in a kind of like a supporting role because People go on Facebook, people go on Instagram, and what do we want them to see? A professional, vibrant, up-to-date presence that says to them, okay, they're alive and well, this practice, they're up-to-date, they're taking care of things. This page isn't a year and a half old, because things like that makes people wonder, are they still open? What happened? You just don't want to create those kind of question marks. And I promise you, (laughs) right, well, sure, or they closed or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's always... Right, an exception. Because Dr. X, you know, let's take a look at who you consider your competition and are they on there? Because if they're on there with a, you know, a vibrant presence or vibrant enough and you are not, I promise you, you just put yourself at a disadvantage. And why why would you want to do that? Absolutely. What may seem as a surprise to many people, but not to the doctor himself, is that I had been considering going to a chiropractor to get manipulation of my bones, take out the kinks from my muscles. And, you know, it was on the back burner. You know, I said, well, you know, I'm not in terrible distress. It's something that probably would be a good idea in the future. It was on the to-do list. But as you know, there's so many things on the to-do list that we tend to go for the the fires first. Correct. And so I was just casually, you know, going through TikTok, laughing through some of the videos. Mm-hmm. And this chiropractor came up. He seemed professional. He was discussing issues that I had been interested in learning about. And I thought, and, and he was local. So I thought, well, you know, this is someone that I should look into. So from there, I did look at his reviews and like looked up his history. He seemed quite professional. And I wound up calling the office and, you know, had, you know, availed myself of his services. Right. But had it not been for this TikTok video that he made, I probably would never have gone to him. So, you know, I, I can honestly say it does work. 
It does. And there you prove the point, you know, go where they go. Have a the term I use is total online presence. Pick at least the major channels where people go to hunt around for you and what you do and have a good up-to-date presence there. I mean, more than presence, but just to make the point, because either your competitors do and you got to keep even or they don't, you can have an advantage. There's just, there's no downside. What a lot of doctors don't realize is that YouTube and also TikTok are search engines. Mm-hmm. So that if someone were to just go into that little magnifying glass to search for a particular keyword or a service, depending upon how you rank on that platform, they will tell the viewer, hey, I think this is the person that you should go to. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely something to, to yeah. take advantage of. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the bias that I sometimes uncover is, and you, you see it with, with different, you know, marketing tactics, this being one of them, is the doctor will dismiss it because the doctor doesn't do it. The doctor doesn't use it. But what I tell them is, you know, not everybody uses things the way you do. You got to understand that the people you're going after, some of them do use those channels. And even if you never go on TikTok or anywhere else, they do. And so why not be there? Why not make it as easy as possible for them to find you and then show them stuff that that are credible to you, authentic to you, convincing? Why not? What is your opinion about a post versus a sponsored ad? What was the first one? A post, a post for a video post yeah. or a blog post, as opposed to a sponsored ad. So in social, I mean, I'll pick Facebook because I know it the best. Posts are the, the best thing about a post is it's truly organic, right? I mean, it's just it's out there, and whoever sees it sees it. the The potential negative of it is it's only going to get shown to some portion of the people who are liking or following your page. It's gonna, that, that's your organic audience, if we call it that. So if, you're, if you've got a lot of followers, awesome. If you've got a handful, not much traction. A sponsored ad, I mean, we, we don't do a lot of advertising, like, like in-depth, go into the back end of the Facebook ad platform and really get going. I do boosting. Um, which I describe as you know dipping your toe into advertising. And all boosting does for those who aren't familiar with it is you can define an audience. It could be as simple as a radius around your location and say, show it to them, show it to some subset of them, and you break free of your follower base. I and then it's the other part of it is what what are you choosing to boost? We will boost things like blogs. We will boost, you know, hey, we have an office that's near this location. I've never boosted and I can't imagine no client has ever come to me and said, Hey, we have this, you know, this new laser or whatever it is, whatever this new service is, maybe we would do it. But as in my opinion, as long as you make it authentic and educational and you're helping people make a good decision about what they need, I'm cool with it. When it gets really salesy, which for a doctor is practically zero level of sales, it just starts to feel really inauthentic. It's not the kind of marketing most, <clears throat> most doctors want to do. And so I like it because it broadens the reach, but the content, you know, you can have an overly salesy organic post. And then to me, it's no better than a sponsored ad if it were the same, because the content is just not consistent with the practice. 
Do you engage your clients into using press releases? Rarely. It's something I'll admit we need to get more into, and I'm trying to find some good folks who can help me out with that. The, the, the advantage of a press release, I view, I view things not exclusively, but, but heavily from an SEO point of view. So a search engine you know, presumes that people are hunting around for what you do and you want to be the easiest one to find. Press releases can be great for SEO value for a backlink. They live out there for a long time. The, the part that's always gives me a little bit of pause about a press release is it's better if it's an authentic story versus something you know, self-advertising. Not that that's bad, but if I were to rank them. And they're out there for a little bit and then they're kind of gone. And so I'm, I'm much more about consistent things that gain traction over time. And so I just, you know, a, a point in time event, whatever it may be, can be done and, and it can be successful. But I always view those a little more, I don't know, scrutinously, I guess, because they are a point in time and, and, you know, to get a good press release, like from somebody who knows what they're doing, it's just got to make sense from a dollar point of view when it's going to be out there for a little bit and then disappear forever. Like, "Mm, I don't, you know, I just, there's so many things that we could be doing that live on for the long term that can pay off, you know, month after month, or at least the visibility. I just, yeah. Well, for our listeners and viewers, they may not know what an advertorial is, which is basically a paid ad, but it looks like an editorial where a physician or a professional is discussing the latest medical breakthrough or a medical condition and what the treatment options would be. So unless you look at the tiny, tiny little font on top that says this is an advertisement, it does read, uh, does not read as an advertisement at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your feeling about that? Love those. Anything, I, I think the more that a doctor can educate and by virtue of doing a good balanced job, they are checking a lot of boxes that I think they want to check in terms of trying to attract a patient. They're being helpful they're providing new information. It's obvious that if the doctor is writing about treatment X, they probably offer it. So, hey, you know, if you have more questions or you know, you want to see if this applies to you, contact the office at, et cetera. I that's the approach we take. The the, you know, educate to attract. I just kind of made that up, but that's that's the theme of, you know, a, as an approach to how a doctor can can market themselves. I I think it's it's just you know, I've yet to have a, a client say to me, we want to go, you know, what we consider like a traditional advertisement. We want to be salesy. And I, I, I'd much rather educate people and have my clients educate people. And by virtue of showing their expertise in a helpful way, you build trust. They must know what they're doing. I'll bet you that TikTok video that you saw was probably educational in some way. And that's part of what got you to stick around and watch the whole thing and left a positive impression. That's what doctors ought to be doing. It wasn't just the dancing. <laughs> <laughs> the dancing held your attention. Like what the heck's going on? But but the words that came out of his mouth were probably helpful, right? And not just where he is, but he or she is, but you know, some sort of problem that- One thing know, that, that you did off. touch upon just like a second ago, and maybe you didn't realize it, but I, I, I want to highlight that, is that any content that you put out should be in sync with, what you represent, your brand, and the procedures that you do. You may be an orthopedist who has 
antique car collection as your hobby or racing cars as your hobby. But putting that content out and attracting the car aficionado is going to do absolutely nothing for your brand. So while you you know, may enjoy these hobbies, this is not the place to talk about it. That it's important in strengthening your brand to only put out content that is in sync with it. Wouldn't you agree? Totally agree. Just because you're a car aficionado doesn't mean you're a great doctor. It just means you know a lot about cars. You could be a terrible doctor who knows a lot about cars. And when I'm hunting around, I want to know what kind of a good doctor you are not what your hobbies are. There's a personal life and a professional life, right? You should keep them separate, at least at a first impression. You might break through that with certain patients. You develop a deep relationship, fine. But people ain't choosing you because of your hobbies. Absolutely. Yeah. So if a doctor wanted to stick their toe into marketing and hadn't been doing it yet, <laughs> what tips would you give them you know, like, how would you advise them? So, yeah, it's a great question. The two things that really need to be in place. One is, let's start with the website because your website, it, it's, it's your front page. It's the anchor of your online presence. It should be, there's, there's a number of boxes that your website should check, both from what people look at as well as what Google looks at. So the whole technical search engine optimization side of life, they should both be in place. It's not terribly difficult to do that, but it should be modern. It's where people, it's where you want people to go. So I don't love this analogy, but it works. You know, if your waiting area was hideously out of date, would you leave it that way or would you modernize it? You'd probably modernize it, right? Same with your website. Only be, I don't love that because a website's a lot more than a waiting area, but it's really, it's an important piece of, of property really. And it's where you want a lot of people to go. So make sure that you're checking the right boxes there. The other place that I always tell people to start is reviews online. Here's the sad stat about reviews online. People trust reviews from strangers online as much as they trust recommendations from their friends and family. I mean, isn't that sad that a bunch of strangers are as influential, you know, more or less as your friends and family, but they create a really good first impression. And, you know, if you are Dr. X and you've got 10 or 15 years of experience doing what you do, but you have you know, a small handful of reviews and they're kind of old. The first impression that you're creating is not that you're really experienced and good at it. It's not much of an impression at all. And so what a mismatch between the reputation you're showing online and the versus the reputation that you actually have. And so start getting reviews, just, just join it. You know, you, you, you can't beat it. You can't fight it. Your competitors, at least one of them has more than you do. So join it start getting reviews. It's work we do with a lot of clients. I know that you do as well. And you know, get that going and then come back and look at maybe that's enough marketing, those two things, or maybe you need some more. Take it one step at a time. How do you advise doctors to increase or incentivize their patients to leave reviews? It's just getting in the habit of asking. So you put in, you make it really easy for the patient to leave a review, there are systems out there that are make it hard, lots of clicks, where do I go, or the process is hard. But the number one reason why 
the clients that I have that do well with reviews versus those that do not is that the ones that do well have built the discipline of asking. And, and asking can be looking a patient in the eye, hey, would you please leave us a review? We're trying to get the word out. Or it could be, you know, it's, it's an automated kind of ask, so to speak, like when the patient checks out or some other automated way. Either way, get in the habit, get the reviews and, you know, get, get up to date because having a handful of reviews of reviews is bad. Here's the other thing. Once a review reaches about three months old, the reader of that review starts to discount its strength in their mind a little bit. And the older it gets, the less they pay attention to it. So people want new reviews too. So if you're getting, I mean, it depends on your patient volume, but one or two new reviews a month, you're good. And then over time, that gross number will take care of itself. But it's, it takes, you know, the other sad fact is that unhappy people will make all sorts of time to complain about you without being asked, but the happies need the asking. And it's just, you know, think of yourself if you're listening, as you listen to this, when's the last time you had a great experience somewhere like a restaurant or a doctor or anywhere, and then you just drove off and didn't even think about it. You need to be asked. And then it needs to be really super duper easy for you to leave the review fast. Don't have to think about where to go. And then it gets back to Dr. X. If you want to reply to that review, just be careful from a HIPAA point of view. Make sure that when you're, if you're sharing the patient's name and their email address or their phone number, that together, those things count as protected health information. You're doing it in a HIPAA compliant way. We set all that sort of stuff up and then it's just very easy to kind of get going, but it's, it's building the habit one way or the other. In terms of the possibility of HIPAA violations, um, what is your approach to testimonials? You mean like a, what do you mean? Like a, like when a patient, it, it's like posted like, on like if as, as a loyal patient, I wanted to say, uh, you know, like Dr. White was, you know, like fantastic. He, mm-hmm. he cured me. He put a, put five hearts in my uncle and now he, Runs the racetrack, you know, Got it. whatever, and and I put my name at the bottom. Do you allow mm-hmm. that, or do you advise people to just have like the initials and where they're from, or do you feel that that really looks made up if you do that? You know, how do you approach the situation? It's a really good question. So the first thing I'll say is I'm not a healthcare attorney, and I I strongly believe that every practice owner should have a healthcare attorney kind of on their team just for questions like this, but I'll tell you what I know and what I understand. So if if I left a review for Dr. Barbara Hales and I left it on Google, my understanding is that I can say whatever. I, so I know I can say whatever I want because I'm the patient. And I can say whatever I want about my condition. It's you who are restricted in what you can share as the doctor. You are the covered entity. So my understanding is that if I put that on Google, which is not your property, it's like an independent, it's a third-party property, that's okay. And my my name will show on that review, however I set up my Google account. So if I set it up as Carl White, my full name is going to show. If I set it up as Carl W or anything else, that's what's going to show. When that review, if you want to sort of stream that review back to your website, now in, in Illinois, that's where I am, there are certain conditions. Like the patient can't say things like, Best. He's the best, you know, she's the best doctor ever because best is a superlative claim. You can't really back that up. And because it's on your website, even though you didn't craft that review, it's seen as you advertising it. And so Uh you've got to kind of 
take care of that. And every state's different or they might be different. So this is yet another reason why a healthcare attorney who knows these do's or don'ts is really, <clears throat> is really, really necessary. As well, you know, should, should the review be anonymized or not? I will tell you, we've got, I've got a couple of clients where they deal with children. Their clients are children. So speech therapy, speech pathology. We've had psychotherapy before. And for those, we anonymize the reviews because we thought in the speech therapist case, no parent's really going to want to disclose to anybody that their child needed speech therapy. So it made sense. So we just attacked it in a different way. And we said, you know, you're using me anonymous, just please put your initials in. And, and we took the compromise of, because you're, you know, your question's right. A review with a full name, you would think compared to a review without a full name would be more believable, all of the things being equal. But this was a compromise that we made with our eyes wide open because we felt that we wouldn't get any reviews if a parent, you know, and we wanted to tell parents like, look, your, your name might show here and you should know that. And so instead we said, let's just anonymize them because something's, some reviewers are better than no reviews. So that's just a compromise that we made. Generally, I would say if you can get the full name, get it because it's just more authentic. And But be willing to make the compromise if you must, because some reviews are better than no reviews, in my opinion. Whenever I go to have my nails done at my manicurist and mm -hmm. I leave, I always get a text message from an automatic service mm -hmm. saying, you know, we hope that you had a great manicure and could you please color in the number of stars and they give you the stars. So all you have to do is click and they say, if you'd like to say anything additional, that would be great and just mm -hmm. hit submit. I mean, it couldn't be easier. Yep. On the other hand, if a doctor were to do that for every patient, they may be sending it to people who may not be loyal so happy. patients. Yeah. Uh, what is your feeling about asking everyone and having an automated service versus just asking the people that you think had a stellar experience? So I'm going to speak carefully here because the online platforms where reviews live don't always agree with what I think. But we are asking for your opinion. That's true. Okay. So my opinion. So Google, let's take let's take Google and, and Yelp, since I've through different experiences gotten to know them pretty well. Google, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, if we were in the offline world, which we do live in sometimes, and I was asking somebody, so my father, but go back to my father's pharmacy, he would sometimes ask people for reviews. And he would ask happy people and unhappy people, but he dealt with the feedback differently. If somebody came into the store and started spewing and screaming how bad the service was, what do you think he would do? He would try to take them outside or somewhere private and hear them out, but he would try to take them out of public view. And anybody else who noticed that wouldn't think there was anything wrong with that at all. If I walked into Google's lobby, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a second. If I walked into Google's lobby right now and started screaming about how bad they were, security would probably come and escort me away or something similar. And anybody else who saw that wouldn't think anything wrong about it. And yet on April 12th, 2018, Google changed its opinion about that kind of thing in the online context about you know, taking negative feedback private. And they said, you know, you should, you should give equal chance to anybody who's unhappy or unhappy to say what they want to say in private or public. And I just looked at that and said, I, I can't fight it because it's Google and I'm not, but I 100% disagree because that's not how I'd be treated in the offline world. So I tell my clients, you want every bit of feedback that you can get because it's all valuable. But in my opinion, negative feedback should be handled more privately than public feedback. Now, 
the other thing to say about reviews is that there's a one to five rating, you know, one star to five star. The most trusted aggregate review is somewhere in the mid four point somethings because the world knows that nobody's perfect. So nobody's really a five star all the time and that people make mistakes and that in the real world, it's not so much the mistake you make, but how you deal with it afterwards. And did you try really hard to fix it? And can you demonstrate that? And that becomes the most sort of trusted level. And so, you know, I don't encourage my clients to get a couple of bad reviews to get the overall, you know, off of a five and at a four point something. But we do talk about what, you know, should it ever come? Look, it's going to be painful in the moment, but it's not the end of the world. It's actually going to be helpful in the long run. As long as you deal with it, if it becomes a chronic problem, that's something else. Yelp's kind of similar. They're actually even more, they, they don't like it when you proactively ask. They think it should all be you know, self-generated, that you were so happy that you decided to leave it on your own. And in concept, I can't disagree with that, but we know that happies are much less likely to do that on their own than the unhappies are. And so it can create kind of a skew. And so you just kind of deal with each platform as it is. But that that's how I view it, but I'm very mindful of the power that Google has. And, you know, more than my opinion, I don't want my clients to get, you know, penalized by Google. So we we observe their rules very faithfully. What is one tip that you could leave our listeners with today? Start asking for reviews. If I had to pick one thing, if you're not already doing it, and if you're doing it, you know, ask yourself, am I really doing it consistently? Ask yourself, you know, in the past month. How many patients, how many new patients did we have? And of them, how many do I, the owner, think were happy with the services? You know, what percentage? And it's usually a very high percentage. So if you had a, you know, 50 patients in the past month and 90 of them, 45, 45 were happy. How many did we ask to leave us a review? The answer is usually none. Just fix that somehow, however you do, because that kind of reinforcement of your reputation, your trustworthiness, your dependability, all the things that you want patients to say about you is lost. People who actually experience it just walked out the door, resolved to fix that somehow. If listeners would like to reach you, how can they do so? Yeah, two ways. My phone number is area code 847-802-8479. That's direct to me. My email, it's a mouthful. It's white C, W-H-I-T-E-C at market, M-A-R-K-E-T, visory, V as in Victor, I-S-O-R-Y, group.com. You can also go to our website, marketvisorygroup.com. And there's right on the homepage, there's a big button, schedule a call. You can do that as well. Well, it has been absolutely delightful speaking with you today. It's Carl White. You too, Barbara. Uh, this is- Another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Till next time.